Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. I'm wondering, how do you deal with deception? To be honest, I have not always been the most punctual person. And I remember the day that my older sister got married. I was running around all morning, doing all sorts of things, trying to get myself ready for the day, trying to get my cousins ready who were in from out of town, or at least that's the story I tell myself now. I don't remember exactly what I was doing. But what I do remember is that when the time came, I was late. And so I was driving faster than I was supposed to be, and I come blasting through the doors only to discover that everyone had deceived me. They had told me that it started an hour earlier than it actually did. (laughs) And I got to tell you, I was angry, and I was hurt. It seems like they may have been justified, but we get angry when we find out someone has deceived us, don't we? And if they're close to us, we get hurt by it. So why do we allow ourselves to deceive ourselves so easily? Why do we not react the same way to our own self-deception? This is what we're going to talk about this morning in the second message in our Lent sermon series that we're calling Worse Than We Thought, Better Than We Imagined. In this series, we're exploring the truth about sin and the gospel, and the assertion behind this series is that sin is not just a list of things you should do that you didn't do or the things you shouldn't do that you did do, but that sin is so much more than that, and not just more, sin is so much worse than our performance lists. Yet the other side of that coin is also true, that Just as bad as sin is, the gospel or the good news has to be at least as good, if not even better, if it's actually going to be good news. And so the point of this series is not just to beat ourselves up about how bad it is, but it's so that we can understand and even experience the enormity of the love of God that is for us who has saved us from sin. Last week, we talked about how sin is a spiritual force in the world and in our lives. That it is a predator, a mountain lion, crouching at your door, desiring to have you. But the blood of Jesus saves us and strengthens us so that we can rule over sin. If you missed that, you can find that on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ, but Today, we're moving forward and we're thinking about sin as self-deception and how easily it happens in our lives. So we're going to do that through 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you want, you can follow along on the screens, but let's listen as God speaks his word into our lives this morning. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone down to Carmel. 
There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, will you add your gracious blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word, giving us eyes to see clearly through any sort of self-deception, so we can respond as you would lead. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, there are elements of this passage that are almost a comedy, and there are elements that are clearly a tragedy. Samuel was a prophet, which means that he regularly heard from God and was commanded to go and speak to the people on behalf of God. Samuel was the one that God had used to identify and ultimately crown Saul as the first king of Israel. And in the passage we read today, Samuel is going out to look for Saul because Saul has just finished a major military campaign. He had waged war against the Amalekites. He had come out victorious. And so Samuel is looking for him. When he catches up with him, Saul comes out eagerly, perhaps a little too eager. The Lord bless you. And he very quickly adds, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Well, why is that one of the very first things that he says? Why is he fixated on the Lord's instructions? Well, it's because the war that he had waged was commanded by God. Samuel had actually even reminded him in our passage today that it was God who sent you on the mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. The command was to wipe them out completely, men, women, children, and animals. Now, that, it's hard to wrap our heads around that. It is a little helpful to at least understand that when the people of God were coming out of slavery in, from Egypt that they were wandering in the wilderness, multiple times the Amalekites attacked the Israelites, not just trying to prevent them from getting to the promised land, but intending to wipe them out 
as well. And in trying to annihilate the people of God, they were also opposing the promise and the plan of God to bring salvation to the world through that particular people. And so God's command to wipe out the Amalekites, men, women, and children, and animals, was his just response to the wickedness and the evil of the Amalekites, and it was his protection for his chosen, beloved people and his assurance that the promise he made to bring salvation through them could in fact be kept. So God commands them to totally destroy them, which is a word that means more than just destruction. It actually means dedicate to God through destruction. It it was almost a, a religious sacrifice in a way. It was dedicated to God And what this shows us is how seriously God takes the sin of the Amalekites. And this doesn't answer all of our questions. This is still hard to wrap our heads around. How can God command the total annihilation of a people? And I'm going to acknowledge that some of this is beyond my ability to fully explain and understand. Because I don't know or understand the the heart of of the Amalekites, their posture toward God, the the fullness or depth of their wickedness. And so I can't speak to all of those things. But what I can see and what we do know clearly from this passage is that God takes sin way more seriously than we do. We downplay it. We deceive ourselves into believing, oh, sin's not that big a deal. Or at least some of the sins aren't that big a deal. This is exactly what Saul has done in this story when he was confronted by Samuel. He insists, I've carried out the Lord's command. And then Samuel says, well, then what's the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's with the lowing of cattle? This this is the comedy part, right? This is, it's kind of funny. He's like, oh, oh, you, you kept the command to destroy all the animals. Wait a second, is that sheep I hear? In this kind of lighthearted way, he's confronted the situation. It's like a story that I read this week. I don't have any idea if it's true or not, but it just seemed so brilliant. A story about four boys in the Chicago area who skipped school all morning so that they could get out of a test, and they show up midday, and they talk to their teacher. Oh, man, we couldn't get here. We had a flat tire. And the teacher says, oh, it's okay. I understand. And, you know, you can just take your test now during lunch. And so At lunchtime, she puts them in the four corners of the room and issues them the test with only one question. Which tire was flat? (laughs) Busted. And Saul's busted. So now what will he do? Self-deception. He goes on to tell him, the soldiers brought... brought these animals from the Amalekites and we spared the best of the sheep and of the cattle to sacrifice them to the Lord your God and but we totally destroyed the rest we did it we totally destroyed what we were supposed to except these few things and you know what these few things they were kept alive by the soldiers it's the soldiers who brought them his self-deception is so immediate so deep that he distances himself from responsibility and from the problem he blames them Why do we deceive ourselves like this? 
I think it's because we have this deep desire to be able to look into the mirror and tell ourselves, I'm a good person. I generally do what I'm supposed to do, and I live out my core values. I do what God wants me to do. And when we're confronted with the reality that contradicts that, when, that we're not the person that we claim to be, it creates a, a crisis within us. And, and the question, like, well, maybe I, I'm not that good of a person, and if I'm not as good as I think I am, then where does that leave me? What does that mean? But man, if, if I can blame, then I can shift some of this responsibility off of me, put it onto you, and then I can look in the mirror and say, whew, I'm a good person because it's really their fault. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have lashed out if she hadn't treated me that way. You know, if he hadn't pushed me like that, if he hadn't been so unreasonable and disrespectful, then I wouldn't have lost my cool. But I can look in the mirror and I can say, I'm good because this is their fault. You know, and so we, we often blame people when we face that disconnect between the person that we want to be and the person that we really are. But it's not just people we blame. We blame the situations in general, don't we? I'm just so stressed out. Right? Things have been so hard lately. I, I just, I need some rest. I, I need some relief. I, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't have to, to carry all of this. And so rather than take responsibility, we shift, we deflect, and we blame. And we do this we do this frequently in our lives with this self-deception and this justification. It happens so often in our lives. I mean, everyone's doing it, aren't they? Oh yeah, and there's a lot of things that everyone is doing that makes it feel okay when I'm doing them too. There's a, a book written by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. In other words, there are essentially things that we have collectively through our self-deception we have determined that, you know what, these are socially acceptable sins. Everybody's doing it. Because how often do you really reflect on yourself and on the people in your life and the relationships that you have and really intentionally try to root out the gossip? You know, to really take a stand, how often have you taken the risk to take the stand to say, you know what, it's really not okay to be telling other people's stories oh, but we cover that up with our self-deception. We're really, we're really only talking about them because we care. We're concerned about them. And so that's why we're, that's why we're talking about them. And, and what about the prevalence of, of just harsh speech toward one another, about one another, attacks on character? I mean, we already know the reality is we are in an election year, and so we are just getting started. But it seems like we have just come to this place of accepting that this is how we're going to operate. We justify it. Well, because the things that they're doing and that they stand for are so horrible, whoever that they are, that it's okay. It is okay if I assassinate their character. As a matter of fact, it's justified because if that's what it takes to make sure they don't get their way, then that's what we're going to do. And you know what? I should probably be the one to put them in their place. Well, and even if, if it's not me, then I'm happy to like 
or to follow or to share what somebody else says to, that puts them in their place. You know, because I'm really a much nicer person than that. I wouldn't say something like that, but I'm happy to like it. I had an idea as I was brainstorming this series that I, I thought about walking through the seven deadly sins. You know, and, and generally, we feel most of them are really problematic. But there is one of those seven that seems to, to really capture us. And a part of it, I think, is in our self-deception. We just don't even see it. It's the whole gluttony thing. And, and you might be thinking, well, I, I have not been to an all-you-can-eat buffet today, so I do not have this problem. Right? And, and gluttony is always about so much more than food. It's not about how much we can stuff inside of us. It's about the desire that we have, the craving that we have for more, rather than being satisfied with enough. So I want more, and so I'm going to have more. I need, I need that new phone. I need those new pair of shoes. And, and you know what? Not, not only do I need it, I deserve this. I work so hard. I deserve to have something nice. See, much of our American life appears to be built on gluttony dissatisfaction with what we have, how can I get more, seems to motivate so much of what we do, how we act, how we vote, and it's okay, because everyone's doing it. How quickly and easily self-deception, the self-deception of sin slips into our lives, unexamined, unrealized. G.K. Chesterton is a, just a, an amazing preacher and theologian. I mean, he, he said this, he said, right is right, even if nobody does it. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong about it. Right? Saul was convinced that he was just swept up into this thing that everyone else was doing. But the truth is, he was the king, and he had the authority to order the soldiers to do it differently, to change the situation. Now, you may not have and probably don't have the authority of a king over all sorts of people, but you do have the authority over your own life in so many ways. It is a great self-deception to believe that we are just a victim of everything that's happening around us and are just getting swept up in it because we have the authority to choose what we will think about, what we will reflect on, and what we will ignore about ourselves and about others. And we have the authority to decide what we will and what we will not participate in. The question becomes, am I willing to pay the price that comes along with it? See, so much of our self-deception happens because I want to avoid paying the price of being the person that I say I am. Because it often comes at a price. Right? If I can deceive myself a little bit, if I can deceive you a little bit, then I get to look myself in the mirror and tell myself I'm still a good person without having to rock the boat or make the waves that would be required to be that kind of person, really. Right? Saul would have had to rock the boat. He would have had to push against what the soldiers may have wanted to do, and he chose not to pay the price. And he does, like, in this move of self-justification, tries to make, take a little bit of the responsibility, but even there, his self-deception goes even deeper, right? He said, hey, 
Besides, we took these animals, the best of the best, and we brought them here so that we could sacrifice them to the Lord your God. You're welcome. Right? It's like, we've done you a favor. He's convinced himself that his disobedience was from pure motives. I mean, this can happen, especially among religious people. <laughs> See, religious people can convince ourselves that our motives are pure. And part of that is because, in some ways, the stakes are higher. Because you don't just have to look in the mirror and convince yourself that you're a good person. You may feel pressure to convince everybody else around you that you're a good person as well. It's so much, uh, this was so much of the problem that Jesus had with the religious leaders and the Pharisees in his day. Right? His deep concern for them was that they were hypocrites, that they were putting on a show, but that they had self-deceived, right? They had convinced themselves that they were really the good ones and everybody else was the bad ones. But the reality is they weren't, they weren't living in such a way to love God, and they weren't just being good because it's the right thing to do. They were doing it because they loved themselves, which is a the real core of what self-deception is about. It's about loving ourselves. Like, why do we do the things that we do? What are the motivations behind it? Is it because they're the good and right things to do because we love God, because we love being good for good's sake? Or is there another payoff underneath there? Is it because I want to feel good about myself? I want to be able to prove to everybody else that, you know what, I am that good of a person. Or is it even to try to convince God that I am that good? and that I deserve the blessings that God would have. And so if I can convince myself and then I convince God, then maybe I'll get the rewards. But God is not deceived, is he? And Samuel is not deceived, is he? He confronts the issue directly. Why have you not obeyed the Lord? And this is really the amazing moment to me. That Saul doubles down in his self-deception. I have obeyed the Lord. His self-deception is so deep that even in the moment of being confronted with the truth, with the evidence, he has stopped listening to God completely. And this is the, the greatest danger, perhaps, of our self-deception, is that we stop listening to God, even when God is trying to tell us, I've got a better way for you. I've got a different path, a different plan. I, I've, got, I've got so much more, but, but you've you got to stop pretending you have it all together. You've got to stop convincing yourself that you're somebody that you aren't. You ever had a conversation with somebody that just kept talking over you? Like, you just couldn't get a word in? It, I, do you, I, this is what self-deception does in our life, in our relationship with God. It's like we don't stop talking. We keep trying to convince ourselves, yes, I'm good enough. Yes, I've got it under control. Yes, I have it all. Yes, I'm obedient. Yes, God, I love you. Yes, I'm doing it your way. And it's like God can't get a word in edgewise. We're just talking so loud we can't even hear him. And this is the heart of Saul's problem. He's not listening to God any longer. And Samuel says to him, because you're not listening to God, you're now disobedient. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. Because listening and obeying is greater than any offering he could have made. 
And so Saul is rejected as king. But the beauty of the gospel, right? The the beauty of the gospel is that there was another king after Saul. That David would come, the king after God's own heart, and from the line of David would come the ultimate and the true king, Jesus the Christ. And he would come listening perfectly, obeying perfectly for the simple joy of obedience, for the love of loving the Father, for the good of doing good, for the right of doing right. No self-deceit. And his perfect obedience deserved a perfect reward. And instead, he takes our disobedience and its consequences. He took the rejection of Saul. He took the destruction of the Amalekites. He took our rebellion, our disobedience, he took the results of our self-deception, and he crucified them in his body on a cross. Which is why Paul, in the, the Romans reading we had earlier, could say this. He could say, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness, his grace, his love for us, that's what will lead us to obedience and free us from self-deception. There's a song I heard this week for the first time called Holy Water by We the Kingdom, and there's this stanza in it that says, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Your grace, the kindness of God is the only thing that makes us want to change. Well, what about fear, you might ask? Right? And that's what most of us think of when we think of sin. We think of, shouldn't we be afraid of the, the results of our sin? You may have been formed in this idea of change or else, repent or else, turn or burn. The reality is fear only reinforces our self-deception because we're so afraid of what's going to happen to us, it makes us want to project even more that I'm a good person. We'll change for a moment, perhaps. We'll change even for a long time, but our heart truly won't change underneath. Only under the influence of the kindness, the goodness, and the grace of God will we change and want to change. Because only knowing that His grace is for you, His kindness is for you, is there enough safety to be able to look in the mirror and no longer self-deceive, but instead look with honesty and not have to be afraid that when I look in the mirror, I'm worthless. Or when I look in the mirror, I'm a failure. When I look in the mirror, I'm a sinner. When I look in the mirror, I know I'm no good. Where is that going to leave me? The kindness of God says that it's going to leave you forgiven, loved, accepted as a child of God through Jesus Christ. Because of that, we don't have to self-deceive anymore. Because of that, we can lean into the reality that God already knows. And he's inviting you back by his kindness, by his goodness to confess, to repent, to be free from blaming others, from blaming the situation, and take responsibility. Because the love of God wants to free you from self-deception so that you can bask in the glory of his kindness for you. Friends, let us take a moment and let us pray and let us confess. And as we do, Be reminded of the kindness of God that is for you this morning. Will you join me in our corporate prayer of confession as you find it on the screen or in the bulletin? 
Lord, it is so easy to grow lethargic in our faith and to go through the motions of Christian living. We claim with our words to be your followers, but our daily lives portray another truth. Forgive us our self-deceit. Forgive us for justifying ourselves and our sin, sometimes even in your name. Open our eyes to the truth about our hearts, our motivations, and our actions. May your kindness give us the courage to confess and repent. Hear us as we silently pray.